You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. What do you do with somebody who, when they're in prison and you want to punish them? You put them in solitary. The ultimate punishment would be complete solitary. The ultimate absolute opportunity that we have is community. Wouldn't it be grand? Wouldn't it be beyond imagination to live in perfect community, perfect harmony with one another? Wouldn't it be grand to have connections that are multiplied by the nth degree and every one of those connections in perfect synchronization? Carl, you're making this up. No, I'm not. That's God's plan for us. That's God's design for us. Last week, I, I, John was really preaching a sermon I should have preached uh, doing that. But he's the boss. What do you do? You got to give it up to him and let him do what he wants. Kind of that. But it's about the nature and the strength of relationship that exists even within the Trinity, especially within the Trinity, whose origin is the Trinity. God has never presented himself as a singular entity, always as connection, always as a relationship. Elohim, you got to practice that for a while. Elohim, Elohim is the plural meaning for God. But he is addressed singularly from Genesis 1 on. Elohim, at Jesus' baptism, John covered last week, we find Jesus being baptized by John. We find the dove descending on him, the Father's voice. There always is a relationship. There's always a connection. There's always a harmony. There always was. There always will be. And here's the joy. You are called to be a part of that. Whatever that perfect communion looks like from the Trinity's perspective, whatever that is all about, you and I are called to be a part of that and exist in that forever, to be all in it. So the goal of the message here today is to take the scriptures that we're walking through the Gospel of Mark, uh, Matthew and Mark. Mark is the second gospel listed in the New Testament, but he's the first one to write stuff down, as far as we know. He's a good friend of Peter's. As a matter of fact, we think that he probably did a lot of interpreting for Peter. Peter was from Galilee, and he kind of spoke like a guy from Chicago. He really didn't get along with a lot of folks. He only spoke Aramaic. I have no clue how you speak uh, South, South Chicago Aramaic, so I'm going to avoid that completely. <laughs> Whereas Mark seems to be able to speak Greek and so was able to take many of the phenomena and the conversations and the experiences with, with um, Peter and put them down into writing. So we're getting an angle of Peter and Mark and what, what John has spelled out that uh, we want to refresh on is that Mark's gospel is a no-nonsense, no theologizing, bam, 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 bam. There's going to be a quiz someday. You're going to be in, in some uh, trivia pursuit game at some bar in downtown Naples. And they're, they're going to go, which, is the, which gospel, his favorite word is immediately. Can you imagine that being in a trivial pursuit in a bar in Naples? No. <laughs> but if it is, you're prepared. The favorite word that Mark uses in his gospel is immediately. Immediately, and immediately. So he doesn't want to give you any in-between. There's no pausing. There's no relaxing. There's no Jesus just 
chilling. There's, and immediately, in the middle, you're running around like some sort of newscast. That's important to know because John wants to make sure he gets, or I'm sorry, Mark wants to he gets to the point really quick. And that'll be the case today. And that was, I knew that John had had me up for preaching, so I was hoping he wouldn't give you this little tidbit of Mark that will also appear on the same bar for the Trivia Pursuit, uh, doing that. And how does Mark sign off as the author? What authors used to do back then, by the way, this is not the sermon, so don't be watching your watch. I haven't started preaching yet. <laughs> this is bonus material. Doing that. So... Um, how do you know that Mark, Mark, what, what authors would do back then is they would put their, their uh, some mark, something which is specific about them. John put the beloved disciple so that you knew that he was, that he was the guy. He was the guy. But Mark put something very unique and very special in it. And uh, right there toward the end of the gospel, the, the scene is that uh, Jesus has come out of the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to be arrested. The Roman soldiers are looking to grab whoever they can to take them in. And they grab one guy by the they went to reach for him, and he slipped away, and they grabbed him by the tunic. And the soldier yanked the tunic away. And what was left? Don't, don't tell him, John. He was Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, except maybe a pair of sandals. I'm not sure. So Mark is the first streaker. <laughs> for, well, I, as far as we know, he was the first. I, Maybe Adam and Eve account? I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> you got to have clothes for you to be a streaker. Okay. I forget I'm hanging with a pretty intellectual crowd. So all that by way of saying, that's the gospel of Mark, and, and we're going to continue to unfold him in the weeks ahead. And I do thank you for the privilege of bringing the word of the Lord together and simply Jesus. I love the title, Simply Jesus. By the way, if you have seen this, where this Jesus character comes from, it comes from the uh, series, The Chosen, and I personally really enjoy that, uh, the series. If you haven't seen it, you need to find a way to look that up and see that on TV. It's very, I think, done really, really well. Simply Jesus, the gospel according to Mark. So let's pray. Their gracious Father, for the gospel of Mark, we thank you. For the call of the disciples, we thank you for the gift of simply Jesus. Nothing complicated and yet so profound as to be mysterious. Give us that sense today that we're all in fully, completely, wonderfully, dynamically, eternally connected because it's simply Jesus. In his name, amen. Okay, now you can start my clock moving. <laughs> All in. What to say when Jesus says, follow me. All right, so you're um, walking down Fifth Avenue in downtown Naples. Somebody walks up to you and says, follow me. What's the likelihood of that happening? Pretty low. You're having dinner one night. Somebody knocks on the door, which... Nobody does anymore, right? Nobody goes door to door. But so you naturally are suspicious. And it's somebody who says, follow me. What's the likelihood of you following him? Low. Nil. Let me up the ante a bit. Suppose there's rumors that Jesus has returned. And this is what he looks like. And there's been sightings on CNN 
and Fox News actually agree on the same sightings or something. <laughs> It'd be a miracle all by itself, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's right. And, and that character identified as Jesus, he comes up to you and he says, follow me. You have some sense about him that this is, could be. There's an aura about him. There's a confidence, a divinity maybe. There's something about him that's he's not some sort of kook who's calling you to follow him. It, it, this, this might be Jesus. What do you do then? You're in the middle of dinner. You've got plans for the night. You need to get back to work because the family needs income. What do you do then? What do you do? That's the heart of the gospel message today. Can you feel that torness inside of you? Because what we're talking about is, and I'll get into this in a little bit more detail, locus of control, but I want to really zero in on, it's important to zero in on that torness, that internal struggle, that even when we know it's Jesus calling, do we, will we, could we, should we, do we follow? The hesitation that we feel, that I feel, that you may feel in your heart and head and in your mind is the point. And with that sort of hesitation engaged, I want to begin to say, if by the Spirit and the grace of God it works today, then by the end of our time you would say, yeah, yeah. I'll follow him. I'll, I'll follow. And I'll go right now. Honey, I'm leaving. I'm following Jesus. <laughs> as kooky as that might sound to people today, imagine how it did back then to the disciples then. Okay. Here's where all this comes from. This is what the text is for today. Mark 1, chapter 16, or verse 16. And again, Mark, look for just very solid, simple language. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, meaning Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brothers of Simon, and that into the sea, for they were fishermen. That's what they do. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And what's his favorite word? Immediately. They left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. They were at work. They're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And um, what's his favorite word? Immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee. They left their dad in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. I don't know. I, the Bible doesn't give us any sense, but what do you think? the servants and the dad were thinking. There's work to do here. Or was it, we found Jesus. Go, go, go. Which was it? Which would it be for you? So therapists, psychologists, and those kind of people. I have a master's in marriage family therapy after seminary, so I've got sort of some background in that whole area. 
always give us a sense of, uh, this is what I learned, each of us has a struggle with internal and external locus of control. On the one hand, many of us, most of us feel we want and we would like and have uh, an internal locus of control. I control my destiny. I did it my way. I'll stop singing right now. On the other hand, people wrestle with the fact that they control my destiny. All right? And uh, which is it for you? Where do you stand? Where do you sit? Where do you believe? Which is more critical for you right now? Do you have an internal or an external locus of control? Now, I was taught as a therapist, not as pastor, but as therapist, you want to help people develop an internal locus of control. Otherwise, they're all over the map. Otherwise, you're simply behaving according to the standards and the, and the desires of the people around you. And so you're then a people pleaser, and you've got no internal core. Well, that's interesting. the problem with the internal locus of control is you could look in a mirror and see something greater than you are. <laughs> This guy sees somebody holding a trophy wearing a really expensive jacket. And so the problem with the internal locus of control is that we tend to see the, who we want to see or who we want to be or the hero that we saw or the Marvel movie or the Star Wars hero or something else. So an internal locus of control has got its own issues. An external locus of control does as well. Oops, I pressed too many buttons, so I'll go back. The other problem with an internal locus of control is people might look in the mirror and see themselves as broken, unworthy, unloved, unwelcome. Nobody could ever love me. You know, these folks, if they're you, you get it. It's a bucket that can never be filled. It's always empty. They always see themselves in a position of loss and empty and almost long for it, almost don't want to be filled. So there's issues with an internal locus of control, of thinking too much of yourself, thinking too little of yourself. It's a struggle. But Jesus says, follow me. He's really, really clear that he's dressing a different locus of control. When the young man had heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This is the end of the story where Jesus is walking along and comes across a man who's thinking much more of himself than he really should. He's got lots of possessions, lots of success, lots of money, and he's kept all of the commandments. He's the rich young ruler identified, and, and he kind of steps in front of Jesus and said, I got it done. I got it mastered. I got it figured out. I've been following the commandments. I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. He's looking for some kudos from Jesus going, yeah, man, go for it. You're doing a great job. Keep up following those commandments. He's anticipating that kind of thing. Instead, Jesus says to him, oh, good, good, good. You're doing a great job. Uh, one thing. Just one. Go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. And he went immediately and sold everything in a big garage sale, put it on Facebook in Jerusalem. Uh, 
he went away very sad. Why? He had great wealth. Uh-oh. So sometimes the things that we accumulate, no, 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 that's not right. Sometimes, not the things we accumulate, the value we place on them, the self-worth we cast on them becomes more important than following Jesus. That does for me, by the way. How about you? He went away very sad because he had a lot of wealth. Do you think he regretted that? Do you think he looked back at all of his possessions? Or did he grow used to his possessions? The Bible doesn't say. I'm just wondering out loud. Did he remember this back? Did he slowly give away stuff? Did he get tired of it? It, dude, I got my picking on my Wisconsin relatives. We took them to all the, we take them to all the typical places and went to Ave Maria and kind of talked about the backstory of Daniel Moynihan, giving away his wealth and the millions and the millions for purchasing Ave and all of that. Would you do that? So following Jesus is critical. It's tricky. Jesus says in Luke, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now here's something what Jesus says that really bothers me. Can I confess that to you? You cannot serve God and money. Oh, please. <laughs> really? I have a list of things that really bother me and this is one of them. Some of you may know I spent seven years working for the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, helping congregations develop vision and funding for that vision. And I would ask two simple questions to pastors, and that is, what's your vision and how are you going to fund it? I'm embarrassed to tell you that mostly I got deer in the headlights. Looks. Because we would have to find a way to say, if we're going to have a strong and clear and dynamic vision, we will have to fund it, and it will come from you. <laughs> then I would talk to the pastors about their own giving. I'd say, you have to be in the lead on this. You probably can't do so in amount, but you can do so in percentage. And I would also confess to you, Many of the brothers in the ministry had a really hard time with that because it's intrinsic. We want to serve both God and money. Jesus said, yeah, you're going to follow me. You can't. You just, it's not, it's not going to work. Hmm. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind from Matthew 22. So this is a really... Uh, fascinating phenomenon because this is at the end of the Gospel of Matthew <clears throat> and folks are really, really fed up with Jesus. The, the leaders of the day are losing attention, losing money, losing uh, their freedoms and Jesus is challenging them. They get together. Three different political groups come together to address Jesus. The Herodians, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. This is like the Libertines, the Democrats, and the Republicans all getting together for one specific purpose, and that's to trip Jesus. 
So they try doing, they, they fail different, they fail miserably. It's a longer story. The third one comes aboard and says, "So, what's the greatest commandment? Huh? Huh? What's the greatest commandment?" He says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Be all in." Parenthetically, just for extra bonus material, he then says, "And the second is like it." Now, nobody, nobody asked him about the second. Nobody asked him, what's the second greatest commandment? I mean, who asked about second place, right? We're going to go through the, to March Madness at the, sometime in April. We're not going to say, boy, I hope I get second. <laughs> <laughs> second is like it, he says. Love your neighbor as yourself. Huh, wait, wait, wait. So he's linking love of God with love of each other and love of self. Oh, don't get me started. What an incredible mixture of phenomena all around relationship. Following him has everything to do with relationship. So what do you think this guy's thinking? <laughs> this is a ski jump. And this guy's sitting on a ski jump. And Jesus has just gone down before him. And zipped off. By the way, I saw the Olympics. They just don't have ski jumping now. They've got like ski aerial, what is it called? Aerial things like that are going. It may be dizzy watching. How do you get away with that? So, but for the common man, here we go doing that. So what I'm sitting there thinking is, is there some other way down? <laughs> I'm not ready for this. Following Jesus is a little bit like this. He goes first, just one way down. I suppose you could take your skis off and hit the stairs. But if you're going to wear those skis, you've got to go down. And you've got to become airborne. And you've got to trust. Are you ready? Following Jesus is a little bit like this, but not entirely. I ran across this one, and I just used it. But I've been running into all kinds of family and friends from Wisconsin, so this one is for you. This next one. Oh, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. This guy uh, failed. <laughs> You're going to date yourself now. Who, can, who here can remember wide world of sports? Who is the agony of defeat? You know how old that is? I looked that up. That's 50 years old. <laughs> I'm sure none of you remember it. This is it's kind of a grainy picture. This is three images of the video of the guy going bam, 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 bam. Because once you're all in, if you don't stay all in, it just doesn't end well. <laughs> just parenthetically, it's been 50 years, and the guy survived it. Just backstory. Again, just extra credit. So I got this one. I found this one. This, <laughs> this one cracks me up. I didn't know this existed until I started doing the research on this. This is called water skipping. Chad, have you ever water skipped? Okay, Chad, we've got to talk afterwards. Water skipping. So what you do is you take a snowmobile, you get it going on land as fast as it can so that it starts to plane the water like skipping a rock. Do I have it right, Chad? How'd you do? <laughs> same phenomena occurs 
is that you've got to be all in on this. You can't start on land and then as you hit the water, cut the throttle back. Am I right, Chad, or am I right? You can't say, oh, I think I'll try this more slowly. If you're not all in, if you don't have it throttle and planed just right, you end up like that. This is a picture of Chad, Micah. <laughs> not really. So there's something to those that give us some sense of this all-in measure because Jesus is very, very clear in many different ways and many different metaphors that he's called us to be all-in. But when we're not, issues develop. How about this one? This one strikes a chord I think I'm after. This is all-in. Imagine you're out in the Atlantic, your boat capsizes, and you're treading water for, I don't know, how long can you tread water in the Atlantic and still be alive? A few minutes. You hear the helicopter blade coming. The guy comes on, and he goes over the wind and the noise, follow me. You don't know him. But you can tell that if you don't, you will die. See where I'm going with this image, this metaphor? Now there's a whole different If we fail, we don't just ruin the snowmobile or appear on the news for 50 years or ruin a set of skis or break a few bones. The Atlantic Ocean swallows us up and its waves kill and crunch us till we are shark bait. We die. The reason why this image is so critical is because this is the follow me of Jesus. If we don't, we die. Totally different sense. That's why Jesus, following Jesus, is what I call a paradoxical both and locus of control. By the way, you'll find as I preach, as we get to know each other, that I love paradoxes. Paradoxes, I was talking to, you, to Pastor John about paradox. He, he knows what a paradox is. He's a professor at uh, FGCU and super intellect guy. And he says, I know, that's, that's the paradoxers that are. <laughs> I said, John, no, that's not right. That's bad. Paradox is a truth so profound and so deep that at first it seems nonsensical. It's like, what? Here's a paradox. You really want to live? You got to die. What? You really want to gain? got to give away. Huh? Really want to live forever? Come die to yourself. Follow me. Not me. Jesus. It's a both and locus of control. It is external because the message comes from God. It comes through Christ. It comes by the power of the Spirit and ain't none of those inside of us yet until we get to the point of baptism. And in baptism, God plants inside of us in this incredible, miraculous, marvelous seed, a new spirit. Create in me a new spirit, David would say. 
and a new spirit is created. And that which was external locus of control becomes internal locus of control. And we have rebirthed, reborn, regained Jesus' image of us. It's completely wholly external, otherworldly locus of control that comes in through God and Jesus. It's entirely wholly internal locus of control, the spirit residing deep within. The issue that we need is if, if I don't have the spirit, I'm toast. Because <laughs> I promise you I'm going to sit up on that ski jump for a long time. <laughs> and when I go down, it's going to get ugly. I can tell you that if it's left up to me, I'm going to throttle forward on that snowmobile and try to plane the water until I get right over the edge. Then I'm probably going to pull back on the throttle. But... If I'm near freezing in the Atlantic Ocean, and a helicopter drops down and says, follow me, you can bet your life I'm on board. The spiritual struggle for control, then, is really what we are, is addressed in this Gospel of Mark right here, between these disciples and between us as we follow. These are the, these are the words that we use. <laughs> to kind of give us some time to think about it. Jesus goes, follow me. We go, oh, let me think about it. Maybe, perhaps, weather permitting. <laughs> Not now. However, but if, as a pastor and a counselor, both, I'm trained to watch for those words. Watch the conjunctions. There we go. Jesus goes all in. So many things I love about Jesus, about following Jesus. But the one I love maybe the most is that he doesn't say, there's the way, good luck. <laughs> Do well, be good, I'll be cheering for you. That's a coach. That's somebody sitting on the sidelines of the NCAA tournament, that, which is good. But it's not Jesus. Jesus says, I'll go. I'll go first, then you can see how to follow me. Whoop, whoop. I'll go first. A plan of redemption conceived before time. This is Jesus. Paul would say to the Ephesians, even, even as he chose us before the foundation of the world. Now, this is one of these things that blows my mind. It's a way of saying before time began, Jesus had a plan. What? Before time began, he knew that God would create, that humans would fall, turn into themselves, struggle with locus of control, and be absolutely drowning in a sea of sin. And some sacred, thoughtful conversation between this eternal relationship called the triune God, the father looked at the son and said, what do you think? And the son said, I'll do it. He said, okay, so let's create this thing that we know is going to fall and we know we're going to send you, and we know you're going to suffer. Before the foundation of the world, the plan was set in motion. Ah, it just blows my mind. That is love, folks. That is love. A plan of redemption conceived before time, a heavenly throne exchanged for being born in a barn. You hear that phrase? Have you been born? Close it, or have you been born in a barn? 
Jesus would answer, yeah, <laughs> I have. He made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Now, key here is that he did it. He allowed it. He made it happen. He took what was this incredible, like, say, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to totally be able to get it. Or I don't think you're going to get it at, at all. Because I can't find the verbiage, the passion, the emotion, the teaching, the words, the insight to preach it to you. So I know I'm falling short, but you're going to get to eternity, and you're going to be able to take a look and go, Jesus gave up this? Carl wasn't even close. <laughs> and I'm going, I know, I know. He gave up all that for you and me. He was despised and rejected by those sent to serve from Isaiah 53. Probably the most powerful messianic chapter in the Bible and is spoken by Isaiah. Abandoned by the Father for our sake. Oh. And again, I, th I don't think we have a clue. And I don't think we're supposed to have a clue. But here's what, what this issue is. Jesus on the cross cries out, what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't say, why did all my disciples forsake me? Why did Mark take off without his robe? <laughs> he didn't say, where's Peter now? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Paul would help unfold that a little bit more in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Oh. He who was perfect became disgusting. They would use the term as filthy rags that we might become righteous, perfect. Wow. Risen and glorified. How do you get this? How do you get there? Mark's got the clue. The sons of Zebedee got it. Two words. Follow him. Not me, not John. Not the ways of this world, not your internal locus of control, not your external locus of control. Simply follow Jesus. He's been there, done that. He's coming back for you. Why? He's looking forward to perfect community. In Jesus' name, amen.